As an OD business owner, there are times in your career when you have to make life-changing business decisions. In this podcast series, I'll talk to ODs and business owners who have insight into how things really work, which can help you rethink your assumptions before making those major decisions to avoid expensive mistakes while optimizing their outcomes. This is the Think Again podcast from iThrive by GPM. I'm Scott Jens, and I'm your host for today's episode, which is titled, Why I Didn't Sell My Practice to Private Equity. And my guest is Dr. Mick Kling from Envision Optometry in San Diego. Welcome, Mick. Hey, Scott. Thanks uh, for having me. Glad to have you. you. You've really been a prolific speaker in our industry on the topic of what's going on with private equity. And you did go through the process of looking and you didn't sell. So I want to get your sense first of the market today. You know, you've got doctors who aspired to that $1 million mark of practice revenue and, you know, build this thing that would be transitioned. But now they're sort of trading that for the ongoing opportunities that seem to be there for selling, getting an employment contract. What's the market like today as this thing's been going on for a number of years now? Yeah. So, you know, when I was contemplating this about three or four years ago, it was a, it was a different market in a different world. The players were not as well established right now. We have about four main players that are, that are taking uh, most of the practices and um, and so the the market has matured to some degree, and that I think for a seller now it's more predictable about what the outcome is going to look like. Um, there's been some um, clarity about how employment contracts are going to be structured. There's clarity on how payouts are made. Although every deal is different, um, you know, sellers talk amongst themselves and get ideas about, you know, how this is going to go and how it's going to look post-closing. And so I think because of that, it's actually made this idea of selling to private equity a little bit more acceptable. Um, And I I think the big appeal now for sellers is it's really easy. And what I mean by that is if you sell to a private uh, seller, let's say you sell to your associate, your associate has to get bank funding um, you have to work with your attorney uh, to, this, to create contracts. All that's got to be negotiated where PE says, hey, listen, here's what we're going to give you. Here's a copy of the employment contract. Take it or leave it. Here's how the payout's going to go. Take it or leave it. And so it's a really simple transition. And I think that's something that has, um, not ta- is not talked about a lot, but has become a great appeal because uh, because of the simplicity, these deals can close very quickly. They're very painless in most cases. Um, that was not the case three or four years ago. So I think that's part of the appeal. I hear more doctors telling me that they have brought in advisors, um, you know, representatives to help them through the process. That seems to be a reasonable market growth relative to the standardization of deal processes to represent like a real estate agent, you know, you in the process. Um, what is, what do you hear on that side? Is, is that more common? Are doctors doing more of that? Well, what I'm hearing more and more of are getting brokers involved. So there are a handful of brokers in the community that are uh, trying to aggregate uh, practices together and then bring this group of 
practices for sale to a PE firm so that you know they as a brokerage firm can actually make money. They're typically paid a percentage of the transaction. And so I'm, I'm finding that um, in some cases, uh, brokers are trying to get into the middle. One of the things that's interesting though, is that if you're a seller, there are so many easy routes to reach out to somebody to buy you that uh, it's, it seems almost unnecessary to have a broker involved. I'm sure that they, the brokers would argue they can increase value, you know, because they have the negotiating experience and negotiating leverage in some cases. Uh, but, but I think if, if you're a seller and you're, you're thinking that uh, this is a path that you want to take, I think possibly a broker could, could be knocking at your door as well as the buyer. I think sometimes brokers are um, of value when you want to stay focused on running your business and you want somebody to be the intermediary with the buyer. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? It's hard to go through a transaction and still run your practice and manage your staff and other things. Um, I would say the same thing, right? They might bring value, but there are places to reach out if you want to look. But the topic of this webinar, of course, is let's talk about why we didn't. So the decision to sell is very personal. There's no one best fit. But what drives you, Dr. McCling, to keep pushing up the mountain when you decided, no, nah, I'm going to stay and go it alone? Yeah, so great question. And, and here, in my role at Vision Source, I see all the PE deals that come through our mem uh, from our Vision Source members. And our members are being hit up because we've built these really big practices. And one thing that I've learned is that there are internal and external forces that are driving us. And the internal forces are things that are pushing us out of practice. So operational headache and staffing problems and, uh, you know, health issues, marital problems if you're facing a divorce. And then there are external forces that are sort of pulling us out, which would be I want to travel. I want to spend time with my grandkids. I want to play my guitar more, you know, whatever it is your hobbies are. And so every deal has those pushes and pulls. And so I'm finding that uh, for most of these deals, um, there's not one singular thing. And I frame it that way because that's exactly the way it was for me personally. There were a number of pushes and pulls for me. The things that were appealing were getting rid of the operational headache. That really made some sense to me. Um, having this opportunity to have a second bite at the apple was of interest to me. But at the end of the day, for me, it came down to just a couple of things. One big one was control. You know, we were starting to really get our practice ramped up. We had just moved into our new building, starting to make some money. And so financially over the long term, it didn't make a lot of sense. There was a lack of clarity with the acquiring company about what my role would be post-closing. And that made me uncomfortable. Um, because this venture was going to be a new startup, it wasn't an established PE company, there was some uncertainty about just how they were going to be able to operate. Uh, so that caused some pause for me. And then there was one very important mechanical problem, and that was I, owned, I own the building that I'm in now, and it was an SBA loan. And the SBA requires... Uh, the owner to occupy 50% of the building. Well, uh, if I sold my practice, I would no longer be the owner occupant. And so that uh, set me up for potentially having that SBA loan come due 
immediately. And so that was kind of the final straw. So the real issues were financially, long-term, it didn't make any sense to me. I could pencil that out. Number two is I just didn't have confidence that the acquiring company was going to be able to deliver the things that they said they were going to deliver. And then really that final third piece was just the complexities of me having to refinance my building and, uh, um, you know, whatever was going to be involved with that and, and the uncertainties around that. So those were really the reasons that I didn't sell. Scott, it's so interesting to look back and I still have mild feelings of FOMO, you know, a fear of missing out. Um, but I have to tell you, I look back and I feel very confident, confident that I made the right decision. Um, and uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see some of these practices that are selling once these three and five year employment contracts go away, what happens with those doctors? If we find those guys back in the market, uh, back starting practices again, back acquiring practices again. Um, so um, there's a great book uh, by uh, Robert Caldini called Influence. And he talks about um, the law of consistency and it basically says that we are hardwired to be consistent in our decisions. And sometimes that drive to be consistent is stronger than our drive to be right. And so sometimes we'll make wrong decisions, but yet stay consistent to that decision because we feel better about being consistent than we do about being correct. And so I just think it's going to be interesting um, seeing what happens in the market I have that feeling that I made the correct decision. Is it the law of consistency? I don't know, but I do feel very comfortable with my decision um, now that I'm able to have that hindsight looking back over the last three or four years. You spoke about the financial analysis and it's very difficult for doctors to do this part, right? There's this math that can be done around say a five or 12 year accretive value process for your practice, assuming that it's a value to somebody in five or 10 years versus getting money today, chips off the table um, from a buyer and investing that or doing something with it that can be based, based upon those internal variables you spoke about. Sometimes things that matter to a seller, an OD who's thinking about retiring or spending more time with family or paying some bill or whatever it may be, getting value for the asset now. Can you give us a quick framework of how that math looks? Because that I think is where the, the docs that are staying put ultimately come to the conclusion that this thing is something that I can be in control of and can be more valuable, much more valuable to me and my family and my community in five or 10 years. Yeah, there's a really pretty simple way to think about the value of your business and what you're getting paid for. So when businesses are valued on a multiple of what's called EBITDA, and EBITDA just is the earnings of the business. And so when a company is paid a multiple of EBITDA, they're basically saying, we're going to give you X number of years of earnings today up front, as opposed to you earning those out of time. So let's say, for example, you receive a six multiple for your practice. You're basically getting paid six years of earnings immediately. So now you have the present value of, of, uh, of the money that you're receiving today. If you're going to be in practice more than six years, what happens is things start to flip. And now you're like at year seven, you, you don't have those earnings anymore in year eight, nine and 10. And at the end of that 
seven, eight, year, nine, uh, nine and 10 years, you don't have your asset to sell anymore. So if you think about whatever multiple you're receiving, you're just simply earning that amount of annual pay, if you will, up front. And you have to decide, is that, is that it? Is that going to get me across the finish line where I think I need to be? Um, and uh, in many cases, if you're a younger practitioner and you're thinking, I'm going to be in practice 10 or 15 years, you don't even have to run a fancy spreadsheet to figure out this doesn't make a lot of sense at all. Very well said. Very well said. Let's uh, go into what is your guidance? There are some doctors listening right now that are knee deep in the contemplation of selling or staying. And there are some who have, like you, ultimately made the decision to stay. And I'd like you to give those doctors advice about what their key variables are to making success for themselves with their practice as an asset. Yeah, I would say sit down and and look at your pushes and your pulls and look at the things that are driving you out of practice or compared to the things that are pulling you out of practice. I think if we're only selling because we're being pushed and we don't have those pulls, then um, I think it leads to a lot of regret. I have read that about 75% of business owners that sell ultimately regret that they, they've sold. I can't give you any uh, source for that, but if you Google you know, the topic of how happy are sellers, that's, that metric seems to get repeated a lot. So think about, you've got to have the things that are on the other side. So if I do sell, what's next? Because I think a lot of our identity and our self-worth is tied up in our practice and our businesses. And once we sell those, and if we don't have something to fill that void, it can be a very lonely, uh, regretful feeling. So think about the pushes and, and the pulls, I think is the is the main issue. The, the other thing that I would tell you more from a practical standpoint is that these high valuations are getting our attention. The problem is many times these deals are structured as earnouts. And earn, what an earnout means is that you're not getting all the money up front, that a, a large portion of what you're getting paid in value is based on the future performance of the business. And that might be committing to an employment agreement or it might be um, uh, performance of the practice. And so, you know, I would encourage people not to get too enamored with the number because at the end of the day, what you're getting on the day of closing is closer to the traditional sale. In order to get the, the value of the high valuation, you've, you've got to give back. And that's usually your time and your commitment to the business. So read those contracts very, very carefully. And it's true that when you are expected to perform to make that higher value over time and you don't have control, um, there are challenges that sometimes uh, influence the performance of the business and can limit those earnouts. But you know, having said that, there, I'll say again, this is a very personal decision. Uh, there are docs who can rationalize it and, and say that it was the best thing for them at that point, and I respect them and believe in them. But I also really appreciate your perspective about bringing your whole self to building the practice that you always had envisioned. So, Dr. Mick Kling, thank you for your perspective on this topic. Thanks, Scott. So enjoy it. And for the audience, that's it for today's Thinking End podcast, which is brought to you by iThrive from GPM.